0: thought that you are mindful of us lord you thought about us before you created us you thought about us as you hung upon the cross and lord you desire intimate fellowship with us even now so father i ask in jesus name as we go to your word that you would be our teacher give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight in jesus name we pray and all god's people said amen Amen. god bless you guys Great to see you here tonight. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 30 as we continue our verse-by-verse study through 1 Samuel. Um, I mentioned it last week. I'll mention it again. We have two more weeks in 1 Samuel and then we will be going to the book of Genesis. I mentioned how that uh, we don't have it on the website. When we we first started the church, we were having Wednesday nights at my house with five or six people sitting by the fireplace. Some of you might have been there, but... uh, so it's been six or seven years since we talked through Genesis, and, and we'd like to have it. I know a lot of people have asked about it, so that's what we're going to do, and then we'll come back to 2 Samuel after Genesis. So starting in two weeks, if you want to get the beginning of the book, show up. Amen? All right. Uh, one prayer request. I have a... my Most of you guys know I went back to work, and my boss, her name is Michelle, she wanted to go on sales calls with me today, and, I've already, and I said to her, look... I. You know, on Wednesdays, I need to cut out a little early because I go and I have, we have church on Wednesday night. I need to go back and highlight my notes. And she said, well, that's fine. You can leave early every Wednesday if you need to, but only if you promise to pray for me. So I said, deal. So pray for Michelle. She's not saved. She needs to know the Lord. It's a divine appointment that I'm working for her. So be praying for her, okay? Amen? All right. She has no idea what she's unleashed. Alright, as we as we come to tonight's text, we're looking at David, the anointed king of Israel, this giant slayer, this mighty warrior, a man after God's own heart. But at this point, he's in a place of total rebellion. If you were here last week, you'll remember that He had grown tired of all the opposition he was faced as he walked in obedience to the Lord and his calling, God's commands and his calling upon his life. And he grew weary of walking in obedience, so he chose to go his own way and to act in direct contradiction to the word of God. He made a conscious choice to rebel against God. Can anybody in this room relate to that? Raise your hand. And this is David, the man after God's own heart. This man being used mightily by God was going to be the king of Israel. And he made a conscious decision that, you know what, I'm tired of doing things God's way. I'm tired of being, you know, wandering in the wilderness. I'm tired of ducking spears. I'm tired of having Saul chase after me. You know what, there's got to be an easier way living with the enemy. And so he went down to live with the Philistines. Now we know how's that working out for him. Not good. And we saw last week, if you were here and you were a note taker, I titled the message, When God's People Rebel. And when God's people rebel, we saw that they are numbered among the enemy. David was numbered among the Philistines. He was living with the very people God had commanded him to destroy. He was living with the relatives of the giant Goliath whom he had fought. But not only when when God's people rebel are we numbered among our enemy, and just look at your friends and you'll know what kind of person you are. But the second thing is, our true allegiance will be questioned. People will really wonder where you stand. You'll be seen as a hypocrite from both sides. The world will see you as a Christian who's not really walking with God and pretends to be something, and Christians will see you not walking with the Lord. Number three, in the midst of rebellion, you'll receive praise from the enemy. The enemy loves to praise you when you're outside of God's will. Loves to encourage you to continue to walk outside of God's will. And then lastly, we saw... Given the way of escape, you will continue to align yourself with the enemy. The Bible says that God is faithful, that with every temptation, He gives us a way of escape. But when we're in rebellion, we continue not to take it, and we continue to walk in rebellion. So tonight's text, I go over all that, because tonight's text, we're going to see a contrast to that. Because in tonight's text, we're going to see the incredible grace that God has, that He doesn't give up on David, but will do whatever it takes to draw David back into himself. If you remember the end of last week's chapter, God moved on the hearts of the enemy, and they wouldn't let David go fight with the Philistines against the children of Israel. Some commentators say, well, he really wouldn't have gone. I disagree with that. He would have gone. He showed up. He lined up. And then we saw that he even said, he questioned, why won't you let me go serve with you? How far away from God has he gotten to where he's attacking God's people, the very people, or at least wants to, the very people God called him to rule over? But you know what, even though God delivered him, remember the Philistines said, he can't go with us, he'll turn against us, and they sent him away, but that was not enough to get him to repent. Sadly, David instead continued to turn his back on the Lord and remained in the enemy's territory. He remained neutral at best, because what should he have done? He should have run and fought with God's people. He was truly their anointed king, but instead, as we're going to see tonight, he went back To the land of Ziklag. So, as we get to chapter 30 tonight, we're going to see the depths of God's incredible grace as he doesn't give up on David. And I pray for anybody here tonight, you need to be reminded that God will never give up on you. And if you have a loved one or a child or somebody who's walking in rebellion, continue to pray because our God is faithful. God loves him enough to do whatever it takes to bring David back into himself. To get him to realize how desperately he needed the Lord and to look up. And as believers we must learn to see godly discipline not as an outpouring of anger but a reflection of God's incredible grace and love for us. He, those who the Lord loves he disciplines. Amen? So in contrast to last week's chapter when God's people rebel. I titled tonight's message when God's people repent. And when God's people repent, we're going to see these seven points. Number one, when God's people repent, they must first come to the end of themselves. They must realize that their own way is not working. Before someone repents, they must realize they're a sinner in need of a Savior. They must realize they're falling short. Number two, when God's people repent, they find their strength in the Lord, not in themselves or their circumstances. Number three, When God's people repent, they seek the Lord for direction. They're led by His Spirit, not the flesh. Number four, they respond in obedience to God's promises. Number five, they show compassion to others. Number six, that should go verses 16 through 24. That was my mistake, if you're taking notes. Point number six, verses 16 through 24. When God's people repent, they give God the glory for all that God does, all the good that comes. And then lastly, when God's people repent, They seek to mend their relationships with those whom they've harmed in their rebellion. So, let's begin in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 30. When God's people repent, they must first come to the end of themselves. Verse 1. says, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag. Now, Ziklag was the place that, that... Achish, had given to David when he came to the land of the Philistines. David asked him for a city, and he said, you can take Ziklag. So David had gone down there with his 600 men, and he began to live there. He had been there, we know, for 16 months he spent in the land of the Philistines. These 600 men had evidently brought their wives and their children, and they had made a city in the land of the Philistines, living in the land of the enemy. David's neutrality revealed now as this, he goes back to Ziklag, he knows he can't fight with the Philistines, he's seen their armies all mounting up, getting ready to go attack Israel, and he doesn't even go warn Israel, at the very least, and he doesn't run and go and get on their side to fight against the Philistines, instead, he goes back to Ziklag to just hang out. This is not the sign of someone who's filled with the spirit of the living God, who's the anointed king of Israel, is it? He is still walking in rebellion. Guys, when you are standing in the middle, you're in rebellion. Do you understand that? Amen? The Bible says you're either for me or you're against me. That's what the Lord said, right? If we're not for him, we are against him. There is no neutral ground with Almighty God. And so we see here that he's kind of, well, I'm not fighting for the Philistines, but I'm not fighting against them either. David, the anointed king of Israel, is still in the enemy camp outside of God's will. And it says there, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day. So the time they traveled from Aphek, where the last chapter ended, down to Ziklag, which is between 50 and 70 miles, it took them three days to get there. Now it indicates that as they're traveling along, they're no doubt tired and hungry. They're expecting the comforts of home. But while walking according to our fleshly desires promises comfort and fulfillment, it only brings destruction. You know, the enemy is always going to tempt you with something that looks good, right? Right? The enemy's going to go, hey, if you go do this, it's going to satisfy your flesh. It's going to be wonderful. Come drink this. Come take this drug. Come get involved in this relationship. Come, you know, do this thing that's going to somehow bring your flesh pleasure, but it never tells you about the destruction it will bring. They're walking in their flesh. They're headed home. And I kind of picture in my mind as they're getting closer, they're bummed out that they can't fight with the Philistines, but at the same time, they're no doubt getting excited that they're about to see their families. They've been traveling for three days. They're excited about the comforts of home. But look what it says. It says, On the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire. If you were to hear earlier in 1 Samuel, the Amalekites are a typology of the flesh. God had commanded King Saul to go and kill all the Amalekites. And if you remember what happens, King Saul brings back Agag, the king of the flesh, with him. God had said, wipe them all out. He brings the king back as a trophy, and he brings back a bunch of the sheep and the herds. We know some of the other Amalekites had absolutely gotten away because later the report of Saul's death is going to come by an Amalekite. Now, here's the point. Saul died by the hand of an Amalekite because if we do not put the flesh to death, the flesh will destroy us. He brought back Agag. And that's kind of like holding on to our favorite or our pet sin. I'll wipe out all, you know, all parts of my flesh, but I want to hold on to that one part of my life that I really enjoy. The king of the flesh. If you remember how Agag died, Samuel came out with a sword in his hand and cut Agag into small pieces. The sword being a type or a picture of the Word of God. The only way we can have victory over the flesh is to walk in the power of the Word. Well, he had not destroyed the Amalekites, and now the Amalekites come back again to be a thorn in the side of, a, of the children of Israel as they have burnt the land of Ziklag to the ground. Again, this could be in, re, in response to David's earlier attack on Amalek or Saul's attack. But what's interesting to me is while David and his men were in the north trying to join the Philistine army, their own city was left unguarded. And the enemy, seeing the weakness of their homes unguarded, attack. And you know, the Amalekites, like our flesh, always attack at the time of our greatest weakness. The enemy's waiting for you to put yourself in a vulnerable situation so he can attack you. He's waiting for you to be by yourself with no accountability. He's licking his chops, waiting for your next business trip when you'll be all by yourself and nobody will know where you are. And when you're off on your own somewhere, he loves the fact that you're isolated and when he can come after you, he knows those times Of weakness. Remember, the Amalekites were judged by God. You know why? When the children of Israel came out of Egypt, it says that the Amalekites would watch for the stragglers at the back and they would go and they would kill them. They'd attack and kill the weak and the invalid and the stragglers who were lagging behind the rest of the children of Israel. But again, those of us who are not pressing in, who are not drawing near unto God, we leave ourselves wide open for the attack of the enemy. And that's exactly what had happened. The Amalekites live on only because of the disobedience of Saul. And now they're coming back to haunt the children of Israel again. Verse 2 And had taken captive the women and those who were there, from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but they carried him away and went their own way. So not only was the city burned, but all their wives and their children were taken captive. Guys, when we align ourselves with the enemy, we all but invite an attack on our families. Guys, when you align yourself with the enemy, you invite an attack upon your family. When you allow ungodly things to go on in your home, when you are living an ungodly lifestyle, do not be surprised when your children and your family are being attacked by the enemy. We can hide it from from the world, but we can't hide it from God. I'm sure we could sit here tonight and I could have people come up one after another and talk about the times when they or someone near to them was in rebellion against God and how it had a major impact on their family. Dads especially, God has called you to be the spiritual leader. God has called you to make a stand for the Lord. Then it said they did not kill anyone but carried them away, probably intending to sell them into slavery. A lack of godly leadership in the home leaves our family susceptible to the flesh a godly home needs the covering of a godly dad. Amen? That was really weak. I mean, a godly home needs the covering of a godly dad. It's so important that men take the spiritual headship in their households. Verse 3. So David and his men came to the city. Now, I imagine the scene. They're tired. They're weary. They've been traveling 50 to 70 miles. They don't, you know, they're walking, Okay? They're walking, they're moving, they're going 25 miles a day, they're moving at that pace, they're weary, they're tired, they're no doubt looking forward to getting home and seeing their families. Their souls are no doubt brightened as they came closer and closer, but instead as they drew near, they could see something was wrong as smoke arose in the distance, I imagine Their pace quickened as they rushed to check on the safety of their families. Imagine coming home from a business trip and pulling into your neighborhood and looking down right about where your house is and seeing a fire, seeing smoke coming up. How quickly would you drive down there and jump out of your car and rush in to find out what had happened, if your family was all safe. This is the picture of these guys coming back, having been in rebellion, having chosen to fight with the Philistines, having left their families alone and wide open for the attack of the enemy. And now they come home and they're going to see the consequences of what happens when God's men do not serve as godly and spiritual leaders in their home. When they arrived, their worst fears were realized. The city had been turned into a pile of burning rubble and all their families were gone. And with no survivors, it seemed all was lost. David had fled into the enemy territory seeking protection and in the end he found destruction. The enemy will tell you, come come with me, I'll protect you. Come over to my side, life will be easier. Being a Christian's way too hard. Can I say something to you with a heart of love, with as exhortive as I can say it? People say, oh, I hear a Christian say this, it's hard to be a Christian. Let me tell you something, it's hard to be an unbeliever. It is a blessing to be a Christian, amen? Now, I, you know what, we have the spirit of the living God dwelling inside of us. We've been adopted into His family. We're going to heaven. We're new creations in Christ. Guys, there's no better life. There's no other place where hope is found but in Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead. And where else would we go? And the enemy will try to draw us away to something that is perishing, something that is dying, something that is falling away to get us to leave God to pursue that which is of no value. And you know what? David bought it. It's too hard wandering through the wilderness. It's too hard ducking spears. I'm tired of Saul chasing me. I'm just going to go to the land of the Philistines and I won't have to worry anymore. He takes his family down there and how does that work out? The city he was living in is burnt to the ground and his whole family has gone. Guys, if you align yourself with the enemy, your family and your home will be destroyed. The only true safety is found in the center of God's will. Verse 4, Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. David and his entire army are overwhelmed with grief. And that's where you'll always end up when you align yourself with the One who seeks only to steal, kill, and destroy. If David had obeyed God, he would never have found himself here. These are clearly the consequences of sinful behavior. He stopped trusting God. He went his own way. And now the consequences have come. But you know what? In the midst of these consequences, I see God's grace. Because God's desire is to do whatever it takes to bring David to the end of himself so he will stop trusting in his own might, stop trusting in his own will, stop trusting in his own wisdom, and start looking up. Sometimes we pray for people and then we're bummed out when they go through a tragedy or a trial, when really it could very well be an answer to the very prayer we've prayed. Amen? We need to love people enough to say, Lord, I don't care what you have to do. Do whatever it takes to bring them to the end of themselves because you know what? I'd rather have all four of my kids paralyzed from the neck down and going to heaven than the most healthy people on the planet and not walking with God. Amen? Amen? We need to have a supernatural and a spiritual perspective. David, because he was so focused on the physical, he ran away and the end result has been the destruction of his home. The destruction of his family. And now he's weeping. And he's weeping because of his own behavior. Then it says in verse 5, and David's two wives, that's a whole other message, we don't have time for that. (laughs) Two wives, bad mistake. Already a sign of rebellion. One wife, one man, lifetime, God's word. Amen? Amen? David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. So David's rebellion had brought harm not only to him, but to his family and all who followed him. David weeping not only because everyone and everything was lost, but no doubt he had to know he was responsible. Who are these 600 men following? David. So David was the one who brought them down there. Now he looks out. Not only is his family destroyed, but so too are all the families of the people who had gone with him. He was in a low. He was as low in his the state as a man can be. David was like the prodigal son. I envision him sitting in the pig pen. You know the story of the prodigal son. He leaves. He wants his dad's riches. And he finds himself sitting in a pig pen saying, I'd be better off being one of my dad's servants because now I'm living in pig slaw." By the way, a Jewish boy in a pig pen. Think about it. Didn't get any lower than that, right? Unclean animal. This is the point where David is. He's weeping. His family is gone. He's outside of God's will. He had just days before volunteered to fight against God's people. And what in the world is he going to do. He's lost everything and everyone. He has broken fellowship with God. He's lost his family. His home is destroyed. He's sitting in a pile of burning rubble where sin and rebellion will bring all who refuse to repent. And David and his men are at the end of themselves. This is a good place to be. Amen? It's good to come to the end of ourselves to realize that my way is not working. So number one, when God's people repent, they must first come to the end of themselves and realize their way is not working. Number two, they must find their strength in the Lord, not in their ability or their circumstances. Verse six. Now David was greatly distressed. Again, at the end of himself. For the people spoke of stoning him. Now, David fled because he did not he got to the point where he was tired of the persecution. He was tired of having spears thrown at him. He was tired of Saul chasing after him. He wanted to go to a place where that would cease. Instead, he goes to the land of the enemy. He's lost his family. He's lost everything, and now his own men want to kill him. This is what again what happens when we walk away from the Lord. His rebellious actions had resulted not only in the loss of his family, But he was once again under the threat of death from his own men. Again, following the flesh promises peace and produces destruction. In the midst of this terrible trial, where does David turn? He can't go to Saul. Saul drove him out of the country. Saul wants to kill him. The Philistines had already said, get out of our camp. The Malachites had plundered. His own men want to kill him. He's got nowhere to turn, right? This seems like the worst of all places. You know what? This is where David needed to get to. He needed to get to a place where his own men wanted to kill him. Where the Philistines didn't want him around. Where King Saul had chased him out of his own country. He has nowhere to look but up. Amen? You know what? Maybe you're here tonight. You're going through something. And you feel like you've got nowhere to look. The best place you can look is up. It says, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. This has been a long time coming. Amen? When was the last time we saw David talking about the Lord? It's been years. Time has gone by. He had run away. He's been in the land of the enemy for 16 months. Not one time in that period do we see him talking about the Lord. Not one time. The entire time he's focusing on himself and how's that working out. Well, it took dire consequences to get there. Again, there's no better place to be. David had to come to the end of himself. Had to realize his own weakness before he would seek to be strengthened by God. God's grace is so incredible in this text because David's in total rebellion, he's fighting against God, he's following his flesh, and God still loves him. Guys, if you're here tonight because somebody brought you, and you've been so far away from God, and you've been in rebellion against the Lord, you need to be encouraged that he still loves you, he's still reaching out to you, and tonight he would say to you, come on home son, come on home daughter, I love you, I want to have intimate fellowship with you. It's enough to bring the trials that will bring him to the end of himself. That's how much God loves him. And then when he is at the bottom and cries out, the Lord in his grace strengthens him. He strengthened himself in the Lord. The Bible says, in our weakness, we are made strong. In our weakness, he is made strong. Amen? It's when we're weak that his strength is perfected in us. The Lord is our only source of hope, our only source of salvation, our only source of strength. Guys, we should be strengthened by His love, strengthened by His promises, strengthened by the things He's done for us in the past. When God's people repent, we must first come to the end of ourselves, and then second, we must find our strength in the Lord. Guys, here's how you know if you're finding your strength in the Lord. If you're finding your strength in the Lord, you will not burn out. Amen? I've had people say, well, I'm burning out. I said, well, then you're doing it in your own power. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't burn out. The Holy Spirit doesn't grow weary in well-doing. We grow weary when we're doing it in our flesh. But we're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And again, it doesn't mean we won't have trials and difficulties, but we will not burn out because the Holy Spirit never will. Point number three. When God's people repent, they seek the Lord for for direction. They're led by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Look at verse 7. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. Now that means this priest has been with him the whole time. But we never see him once asking for godly direction about anything. That means, I I kind of equate that to somebody who goes to church. They come into fellowship, they're there every week. But they never truly seek God's face. They never truly seek God's direction. They never truly lay down their life before Him. It's not enough, you know, to be in the presence where God's Word is taught. We must more than hear it, we must apply it. Amen? The priest had been in his presence all that time, and not one time did he go and inquire of the Lord. He just went his own way, thought he had it figured out, and sadly we saw where it's led. His family, again, is gone. The city where he lived is destroyed. So he's strengthened in the Lord. And David, for the first time in a long time, now inquires of the Lord. A mark of repentance is seeking the Lord for direction. True repentance is, when you come to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, I've been doing it my way, I'm not doing it my way anymore. Lord, I'm not coming to you with a list of, of, you know, okay, Lord, I'll do it if. Okay, I'll follow you if. Okay, Lord, I'll follow you as long as it's not. Lord, I'll go anywhere you want, but I'm not going to be a missionary. Lord, I'll do whatever you want, but I'm just not... Lord, I'll, I'll do anything. Not the children's ministry, though, Lord. I just can't handle those kids. You know what I mean? Where we come with conditions before God, that's not surrender and brokenness. That's not coming to the Lord and saying, you know what, Lord? My life is yours. Whatever you want to do with it, that's repentance. Amen? Lord, I'm turning from the person I used to be. I'm giving my life completely to you. I lay my life in your hands told you about the young man in a youth group in San Jose that when we when he passed the offering by, he said, I just wanted to put my body in the offering plate. People laugh about that, but I thought, Amen, that, that kid gets it. You know what, Lord? You don't want my wallet. You want me. Let me give you me. Can I just get in there? Can I just get in the offering plate? Just take me, Lord. And you know, that's a mark of repentance and brokenness and giving your life to God. Now, what is an ephod? An ephod was a priestly garment the high priest had a special one that had the 12, had jewels for each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and it had a pocket inside of it, and inside of it were two stones called the Urim and the Thummim. Now we don't know positively how it worked, but we know that God would use those, and the priest would ask God a question, would come before the Lord, and draw his hand out, and depending on what he drew out, be it a black stone or a white stone, was God's answer. Now what I find interesting about this, people have tried to bring that into the New Testament, Well, and I was bowling with a friend, you know, Lord, if you want me to ask that girl on a date, I'll bowl a strike right now. You know, don't do that. Magic eight ball. Okay, Lord, if you want me you know, don't do that. And people have tried. Here's the point, guys. You got to understand at this point, they did not have the completed revelation that you've got in your hand. Amen. So for them, this was the word of God. They were going to what the Word of God had commanded in the law of Moses. This is the way to seek the Lord. So they were being faithful to the Word. You and I today are to go to the Word just like they did. And you've got the Word right here in your hand. Amen? And so when you're seeking direction, you don't, you know, do pick-up sticks or roll dice or, or, you know, anything like that. You open up God's Word and let Him give you direction. Amen? You also allow Him to speak to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So for the first time... He's done this, and so ever long. And he seeks the Lord's direction. And I want to say this, for David, this is a big deal. Look at verse 8. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Do you think this is a big deal for David? David is a mighty warrior. Someone just stole his family. Now, if you came home, and someone had kidnapped one of your children, would you pray and ask God if you should chase them? I'd be praying while I chase them. Amen? I'd be running down the street, Lord, make me faster or something, right? (laughs) And we see a radical change in David's heart because David finally has come to the point where he realizes I've been doing this my way and it's not been working. And I'm not going to strike out, I'm going to trust the Lord. This is the David that God saw when he was out shepherding and said, there's a young man who's after my own heart. This is David, the man after God's own heart. The one who is completely submitted to God's will. He's done things his own way. It's resulted in destruction. And now he's he's repented from his rebellion. And he's not going to do anything unless the Lord tells him. He says, shall I overtake them? Lord, shall I pursue them? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him. Here's a sign of someone who's walking with God. God answers. Amen? When you seek the Lord and you're walking with Him, you hear His voice. He responds to you. But when we're walking in rebellion, God knows where our heart really is. And God answers and says, Pursue him, pursue, for you shall overtake them, and without fail, recover all. So God said, pursue them, you will overtake them, and without fail, you will recover all. So what do you think is going to happen? He's going to pursue them, he's going to overtake them, and without fail, he's going to recover all. Amen? Because God said so. Guys, we need to, the Bible says it, it needs to be in concrete for us. Well, it's just kind of an opinion of the Apostle Paul. No, it's the Word of God. And the Word of God is always right. When God's people repent, number four, they respond in obedience to God's promises. So David's been given a promise by God. Now he has to choose whether or not to respond in obedience to God's promise. God's given us many promises throughout the Bible. Somebody numbered them one time, and I think it's... I don't even know, probably in the thousands. But those promises, we can trust in every single one of them. Amen? You read a promise, God says it, that settles it, that's enough. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Is that a promise? Can we trust in it? We believe in our heart, confess with our mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, we're saved, God said so. I can believe that. Amen? Amen? And throughout Scripture, we see those kinds of promises. David's been promised. How does David respond? It's one thing to receive direction from God. It's another to obey it. Verse 9, so David went. Other times, he was going out in his own power, in his own direction, according to his own will, but now he's walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, having been sent out by God. Notice he doesn't argue, he doesn't negotiate, he went. He doesn't say, well, Lord, you know, uh, how quick will it be before I catch them? And when I get there, are they all going to be alive? Because I kind of need to know that now. I'm not really sure. If, I, if it's only going to be one of my wives, I don't like her that much, so maybe I'll just not go. <laughs> you know, he didn't say, God said, go, yes, Lord. Amen? God says, go. The answer is, yes, Lord. You said, go, I'm going to obey you. The Bible tells us that obedience is the highest form of worship. It says back in 1 Samuel 15, 22, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. God is far more concerned with us walking in loving obedience than us being really religious. You can be really religious and spiritually dead. And then it says, this is interesting. David went, he and the 600 men who were with him. Now wait a minute. A few verses ago, these 600 people wanted to stone him, didn't they? It said, all but wanted to kill him. And now all of a sudden, they're going with him. You know what happens when someone is filled with the Holy Spirit and they're walking with Almighty God in obedience to him and they're seeking his will. It's amazing how God will use them to lead others. Amen? All of a sudden, they recognize something different in David and they said, oh, that's the guy we started following. That's the guy. Yeah, we need to follow him. Now walking in, the, in obedience to the Lord, the men are back on His side. And again, God is using Him to lead others. Then it says, So David went and the 600 men were with him and they came to the brook Besor where those stayed who were left behind. The brook Besor was about 13 miles away. And it, into the, uh, it empties into the Mediterranean Sea. And it has some, ra- some raging rapids during a part of the year. And I believe that was probably the time that this took place. They've traveled 13 miles. They just traveled 70 miles or so. They're weary. They're chasing. They get there. And a couple hundred of the guys say, man, I can't make it across that thing. It's a raging rapid. I just can't do it. And you know what? I, it reminds me of the story of Gideon. How God often will bring what we're trusting in physically to a point to where only God can can succeed with it. You know, know, Gideon was going to fight and he went from 32,000 men to 10,000 men to a few hundred men. And God said, you know what? You're only only outnumbered 3 to 1. That's not enough. You might think it's you. Oh, now you're at number 12 to 1. Now you still might think it's you. How about outnumbered 400 to 1. Now you'll know it's me. And you know what? Sometimes God does that. He allows us to face overwhelming circumstances. The diagnosis of cancer, there's no way you're going to live. Impossible. All the doctors have looked. There's no way you're going to make it. It's just not going to happen. We pray God answers prayer and who gets glorified? God does. But if well, you're kind of sick. This could happen. We pray. Again, God can still be glorified, but I'll tell you what when there's no other hope and there's no other way, then God always gets the glory. The army's being shrunk down, testing the heart of David. Will he still follow when his army gets smaller? Will he still trust the Lord when things aren't as easy? Verse 10. But David pursued. So 200 stayed behind. David kept going. Spirit filled David. Isn't he a different guy? He keeps going this time. He's following because God told him, him plus God is a majority. I believe David would have gone if the whole army stayed behind. I believe David would have said, all right, you know what, God's with me. I I remember what it's like to be here. Let me ask you a question. Not even in my notes, but think about this. Have you experienced a time where you're so on fire for God and then you've experienced a time when you're way far away from God and then you get back close to the Lord again and you go, oh, this is wonderful. Amen? Amen? what 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 was i thinking about leaving i should have just stayed here amen that's where david is david's back walking with the lord going oh this is so much better my way's lousy god's way is so much better david says hey lord you want me to go f- i'll fight them all you know what you had me go fight goliath you i've seen you win the battle before you can win the battle again David pursued he and 400, for 200 stayed behind who were so weary they could not cross the brook Besor. When God's people repent, fifth point, they show compassion to others, as the Lord has shown compassion to us. Look at verse 11 through 13. Then they found an Egyptian in the field, and they brought him to David. And they beat him soundly till he told them what they wanted. Making sure you're reading your Bible. They gave him bread and he ate and they gave him, let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And so when he had eaten, his strength came back to him. For he had eaten no bread nor drink drank water for three days and three nights. And then David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? It would have been very easy for David to do one of two things. To walk by and see this dying Egyptian slave laying in a field and ignore him and keep moving. The other thing he could have done is, you know what? He was here. He probably saw them go by. He might even be one of them. Let's beat him soundly until he tells us what we want to hear. You know what he does instead? He ministers to him. Guys, we don't overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with good. Amen? The Bible says they shall know us by the love we have one for another. He ministers to the heart having no idea. What this man has to say, he feeds him, he lets his strength be restored, and then he asks him this simple question. This is a great question. To whom do you belong? Let me ask you a question. To whom do you belong? That was weak. To whom do you belong? To Jesus Christ, amen? We're We're children of the King, amen? And he's asking that question to this Egyptian. To whom do you belong? Where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. What a message here. His old master left him because he was sick. David shows up and ministers to him. Don't you love that? His old master said, you know what, you're too sick, I'm leaving you. And David came along and ministered to him. This is the power of the Holy Spirit transforming David's life. David, just days before, was going out and killing everything in his wake and asking no questions. Now David sees a man hurting and ministers to him. Now now you're really going to see a transformation in David. Look at verse 14. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belongs to Judah and the southern area of Caleb and we burned Ziklag with fire. Uh, Let me tell you where I've been the last few days. Uh, We went down and we attacked people of Cherith in Judah. That means they were in the territory of Israel. And then we went down to Ziklag and we burned that place with fire. Now David, not filled with the Holy Spirit, what do you think would have happened? Game over, right? The guy would have been dead before he hit the ground. Remember Nabal just wouldn't give him some food. And he wanted to go kill Nabal. You remember that just a few chapters back? Oh, he won't give us food? Okay, we're going to kill him. And David mounted his guys up and went to go kill him. Now this guy is telling him, yeah, we burnt your city to the ground and stole all your people. This could make even a godly man lose his temper. But look how David responds. It is interesting that he says he did it in the area of Caleb. Caleb, guess who lived in the area of Caleb, who was a descendant of Caleb? Nabal. Good reminder, you know, Nabal, you, got, you, wanted to have, you, know, you wanted to go after him. It is interesting that it says, and I won't go into it, I don't have time, but that the Cherethites would be judged by God. And here we see their judgment coming at the hand of the enemy. It's in, it's in uh, Zephaniah chapter 2 and Ezekiel 25. The Lord says, I will stretch out my hand against you. I will cut off the Cherethites and destroy their remnant. And that happened right here at the hands of the enemy. Verse 15, And David said to him, can you take me down to this troop? So he said, swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. So David doesn't seek vengeance. Instead, he sees God's providential hand in being, you know what, he showed kindness to this man and now God was going to use it. You know, when you show kindness to people, God will use it. When you show love and kindness to people that seemingly don't deserve it, God will use it to open the door. For doing His perfect will, and that's exactly what it's done here. He says, "Swear by God." It's interesting. He doesn't swear by an Egyptian god or a Malachite god. He knows better. And then, it's, so when God's people repent, next point, you give God the glory for all the good that comes. Verse sixteen, and when He had brought him down. There they were, spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing, because all the great spoil they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. This is so typical of the world, isn't it? He shows up and what's the world doing? They're having a raging party. And you know what? The world thinks that judgment will never come. We're going to just party till we... die. Oh, just party, party, party. So they've taken... They've gone down and attacked... God's people, and now they're out or having a raging party thinking nothing is going to come of it. They think judgment will never come. Verse 17, Then David attacked them from twilight until evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. The rest were probably too drunk to get on a camel. So David attacked the Amalekites and empowered by God and in obedience to His word, He had victory. And as we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He had victory over the flesh because He was walking in the Spirit. He had victory over the Amalekites because He was walking with the Lord. And you know what? You and I will too. Maybe there's a a particular struggle that you have in your life, a particular habit, something that you just seem to be having a difficult time getting away from. The only way it's ever going to change is not you trying harder, but you dying to yourself and being filled with the Spirit of the living God. Amen? Because without Him, we can do nothing. And all those habits, will never overcome them, apart from the Lord. And then it says, So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them, David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and the herds that had driven before those, Before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. So, back in verse 8, God said to David, You shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. And what happened? He overtook them and he recovered all. God is always faithful to his word. All their families were restored. All their possessions were, were recovered. And while David was the tool God used, God is the one who brought the victory. God promises victory if we will obey. Some here have broken relationships. God can restore them. You obey His Word. You leave the restoration up to Him. You handle this part of it that you can. Your walk with the Lord. Don't blame someone else for the reason why you're not walking with God. You just obey God, regardless of what everyone else is doing. And leave the restoration in His hands. Verse 21. Now David came to the 200 men who'd been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they had also made to stay by the brook Besor. It's interesting, Besor means good news. They waited by the good news. So they went out to meet David, to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went David with David answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children that they... that. They may lead them away and apart. Guys, we must not take credit for what God has done. David's men, remember when David found these guys, what were they like? They were destitute, they had nothing, they were they were the biggest tribe of just misfits and messes. And now God, by His grace, has blessed them, and they do not want to share. Well, they waited by the stuff, so they shouldn't get anything. We should keep it all. Just give them their wives and children and tell them to get out of here. Boy, does that sound like the spirit of the flesh. So totally the flesh. These are the same men who spoke of stoning David. Now they speak of their own greed. Now watch what David says. But David said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what we have earned. With what the Lord has given us. Amen? Amen? David reveals the source of God's grace at, and, and provision and it's God who delivered them and the possession belonged to the Lord and God does not desire that only the strongest or most intelligent should be blessed. All of our gifts, talents, and abilities come from God and all they produce belong to God. Amen? Everything you have is God's. Do you understand that? You're driving God's car, you're wearing God's shoes, you've got God's shirt on, you're living in God's house, it's all God's stuff. And as soon as we lose track of that, we get greedy and self-centered and self-focused. You know, you've heard me say it before. So much of the world is get all you can, can all you get, spoil all the rest, nobody else can have any, right? I mean, the whole world is so pursuant of the things of this world that are passing away. As Christians, we should not be like that. We should say, Lord, it's all yours. I'm simply the conduit through whom you want to Dispense your gifts and your goods; it's all yours, Lord. Help me to be sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit. The Lord has given to us. Who do you think learned the greatest lesson of God's grace? Those who stayed by the water because they were weary stayed by stayed at the brook. Be sore and were still blessed anyway. You know, I believe there's a very clear lesson here, you guys. Because those who stayed by the supplies actually freed up those who were in battle. They didn't have to carry the supplies anymore. I believe the reward for those who faithfully give and pray and serve in anonymity will be just as great, if not greater, than those who serve on the front line. I believe that the people at the front of the line in heaven, if there were such a thing, will be those that nobody has any idea what their name is or who they are. Guys, I believe that if we give to missionaries and we pray for them faithfully as we should, that our reward in heaven will be just as great as the one out there doing the work. Amen? There's a picture we see here. They stayed by the supplies. The other guys went out in the battle line, but this was God's ultimate plan. They were watching the supplies. They were staying by the stuff. And you know what? We too need to do the same. We need to be faithful with the gifts God's given us so that those that are out on the front lines, can be faithful to the gifts God's given them. God will reward the hidden servant with the same reward as the prominent one. Be encouraged to be faithful to use your gift, whether anyone else ever sees it or not. Your reward in heaven is not based on what men see, but what God sees. Amen? You do it for the Lord, not for men, not for praise. That's why when you see the worldwide ministry with someone's name after it, run away. Amen? Because we should not be pursuing our name being glorified, only His. The Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered us into the hand hand the troop that has come against us. Then it says in verse 24 and 25, For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down in the battle, so shall the part of he who stays by the supplies, they shall be alike. So it was from that day forward, He made a statute and an ordinance for the Israel. To this day. So, the reward from those who, from that day forward, would be the same for those who served in the front lines as those behind the scenes in the support role. And again, a clear picture, I believe, of our heavenly reward. Last point when God's people repent, we seek to mend our relationships with those we have harmed in our rebellion. We don't just say, okay, I've given my life to the Lord Now everything that's happened, well, that's behind me and I don't have to worry about it. True repentance means not only do I get right with God, but then I go find those who I've harmed and I get right with them too. Amen? That's repentance. Look what happens. Now, when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends saying, here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord to those who are at Bethel, to those who are at Ramoth of the south, those who are at Jatir, those who are at Eror, those who are at Sivmoth, those who are at Eshetomah, those who are at Rachel, Rahal, those who are in the cities of the Jeremelitis, those who are in the cities of the Kenites, those who are at Hormah, those who are in the city of Chosheron, Attic, and then it says, those who are in Hebron, and all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to rove. You know what? David doesn't take credit. David instead takes what God has given him and he sends some of it back to the very people he abandoned when he left and went to the land of the enemy. He reaches out to the children of Israel, those he was supposed to be watching over, and he sends to them some of the spoils of what God had blessed him with. He reaches out to those he had left. He reaches out to those he had abandoned as their true king. And now he says to them, God has blessed me and I want to minister to you. You know what? We may have left some people behind when we were in rebellion and we need to go back and get it right. Amen? Amen? We need to go back and love on those children, those coworkers, whoever it might be. You know, like, well, I got my life right with God. I don't have to deal with him anymore. Well, I don't, I don't think that's biblical. I believe biblically we need to go back broken hearted and say you know what I've gotten right with God but I need to get right with you. Will you forgive me? This is the beginning of David's heart to get right with those whom he had abandoned. David became rich and sent presents to his friends but again his real heart was to reach out to them in love to restore a broken relationship David does not take credit. He does not heap up riches for himself. David earlier would have said, this is all my stuff. I won the battle, it's mine. Somebody, you might sit there and say, well, you know, I, I've got a lot of money, but, you know, I've worked really hard, so it's mine. I mean, you weren't there, I worked hard. I got real, I'm well-educated, I've made good investments. It's all my stuff. Okay. If it's your stuff, enjoy it now, because that's the only reward you'll ever get for it, Amen. If it's God's stuff, then we need to let, now I'm not saying that God doesn't say you can own a home, of course, but whatever we have, we need to let, we need to possess them, not let them possess us, amen? We can't be so caught up with our stuff that we miss out on being used by God. I don't know how I've talked to people before, this happened early in my own life. There was a point in time when I was a young man, I wanted to go in full-time ministry at Calvary Chapel Antelope Valley, and I could not quit my job because my house payment was so high. And I call it the golden handcuffs. I was so entrenched in my house payment, I couldn't serve God. And I thought, I'll never let that happen again. May I encourage you, you can learn through experience. It doesn't have to be your experience, it can be mine. Don't get so caught up in pursuing the things of this world that you're so you know, held down by them that if God wanted to use you, you couldn't even go. Lord, help us, again, not to be so bound to the things of this world. David days earlier he had sought to destroy his own people and now he's ministering to them remember just days earlier he wanted to go fight with the philistines the holy spirit got a hold of him and now he's reaching out to them in love and he's ministering to them that's what happens when the spirit of the living god gets a hold of somebody amen we go from attacking to ministering we go from being self-centered and you know lashing out to being god-centered and reaching out amen that's the life of a spirit-filled believer David, filled with the Spirit, seeks to bless and restore their relationship. So, here tonight, you might say God has or is doing a work in your life and heart. You're walking in the Spirit. You're no longer in rebellion. Well, the truth will be seen, not only in your relationship with Him, but your relationship with others. The relationship with those who have done harm to you. The relationship to those you've had difficulties with. As a Spirit-filled, born-again believer, our repentance is before God but it is also before those who've harmed us. So, what have we seen about David in this chapter? In closing, David strengthened himself in the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. David believed God's promises. David did what God told him to do. David showed unexpected care and kindness to others. David saw it as the Lord's victory. David shared his reward with others. And David did what he could to mend the relationships in the past where he brought harm. What an example for every single one of us. Amen? Does David blow you away or what? One week you come in and you go, that David, that, what a knucklehead. How is that guy a man for God's own heart? I, why is he even in the Bible other than just to be a picture of a mess? And then you come the next week and you go, that David, he rocks. You know what the difference is, guys? It's just like us. Us without the Spirit walking in the flesh, we're a mess. Us filled with the Holy Spirit to overflowing God rocks through us. Amen? And He is glorified in our lives. So when God's people repent, we must first come to the end of ourselves. We must find our strength in the Lord. Seek the Lord for direction. Respond in obedience to His promises. Show compassion to others. Give God the glory for all the good that comes. And seek to mend relationships with those we've harmed in our rebellion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You. You never call us to do anything you want to empower us with your holy spirit to do lord we come humbly and broken before you lord i pray for anybody here tonight is walking in their own strength in their own power lord bring us to the end of ourselves help us father god to rest in you to trust in you to be desperate for you father i do pray also if there are relationships that need to be mended father i pray that you would help to by the power of your spirit to bring restoration Help us, Lord, to trust in you, to passionately pursue you, to be salt and light to a lost and dying world. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow. I fear And even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms